wellspring of all that Jesus intended for us and all that Jesus intended for us to have, all that Jesus intended for us to experience. Say this with me. We are, we are in, Jesus in Jesus to be, to be a, people a people of his presence. Of his presence. I, must I must practice who I am in order to become who I am meant to be. We have to practice his presence. We are created and designed to be a people of his presence. And once we understand that that's who we are, we practice the presence of God. We practice our relationship with God. We practice life in the spirit. And as we practice life in the spirit, we become who we're created to be. The Holy Spirit is given to us. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your benefit that I'm going. For unless I go, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is the gift to the church. He's the gift to the Christian. He's ultimately the gift to the world because what he's doing in the world is actually drawing people unto Christ. To the believer, he's empowering us and he's making riches, the riches of having the mind of Christ, the power of God, he makes available to us. This is important. Wisdom is found in the Spirit. Right? We have the mind of the Lord. We have the spirit of counsel. We, we talked about this the last few weeks and how the spirit moves is to move out of our life and not just move out of our life, but all of these things are available to us. Jesus says this, John 7, 38. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of concerning the spirit of those, to those who would believe in him would receive. Spirit of God is given to those who have faith in Christ and who have surrendered their heart. The Holy Spirit comes in us. He comes inside of us. This is what it means to be a Christian. You may not under, understand everything. People go, why do you believe? And you can go, I don't know. Jesus lives in me. I can't explain anything else. But when I asked him into my heart, he came. That what evidence can you believe that Jesus is real? What evidence can you give that Jesus is real? He lives inside of you. That's the evidence. Christ in you. We ask him in, he comes in. That's the presence. His, the, the, who comes into you is Jesus. Or excuse me, not just Jesus, but the spirit of God to bear witness of Christ in our hearts. So as a believer, as I'm going to talk to the Christians here this morning. You are, say this with me. I am called into a lifestyle, not just a religion and not just a relationship. It is a relationship that is lived out through a lifestyle. That's what Christianity is. We don't have a religion. Christianity is not religion. It's not. Jesus did everything in his power to tear down religion. Religion is a system of orders and rituals and rites and practices that men establish. And oftentimes, most times, religion has form but no power. Religion has an attraction to us because it makes us look good. It makes us feel good from the outside, but it does nothing to change what is inside. That's the difference. There's a lot of Christians, they like it being religious. They like to look religious. They like to act religious. There's a lot of churches oftentimes and other institutions that like to practice religion because it looks good. But if it doesn't change you, it's worthless. Jesus said it's whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. It's nothing. Outwardly looks amazing. Wow, look at, the, look at the robes and the vestibules and look at the rituals and the orders of service and look how everyone's neat and primped and proper. But inwardly, it does nothing to transform you. And Jesus isn't interested in externals. He's interested in internals. This is why he would eat and he wouldn't do the ceremonial washings. And the religious were offended. How dare you eat 
and not wash your hands in the religious ceremonial way because he wasn't interested in that. How dare you eat grain on the Sabbath because he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in something far greater. Jesus is not interested in outward practices. If your outward practices benefit you inwardly, then go for it. But if your outward practices are not transforming you by the nature of the spirit, then your outward practices are worthless. They mean nothing. Actually, churches and religions and institutions create traditions. And Jesus said, by your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect. You neuter the power that's been intended to flow because of traditions, because of dogmas, because of teachings of men, because of the way that men present things and put you into a frame or into a box or into a manner of living. There is no power and there is no life there. Life is in the spirit. It's in spirit. Jesus is more reckless and wild than you could ever imagine him to be. Huh? You want to read a book? Read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You'll see Christians gone wild. <laughs> they had no religion in Corinth. What they had was the spirit. And they went nuts. Now they ended up doing some wrong things. And so what Paul was doing was correcting them. But this was a very non-religious city with a bunch of very non-religious people. It's the most spiritual book, most spiritually empowered book in the whole New Testament. They understood the power of the Spirit. And Paul had to correct them and show them how to navigate correctly. But he, what's interesting is he never took anything away. So I tell people. They always want to point at Corinth and say, look how Paul corrected the Corinthian churches. And I said he corrected them, but he never took anything from them, did he? All he was doing was putting the practice into its proper order. That's all he was doing. He never took anything from them. He never told them to stop speaking in tongues. He never told him to stop prophesying. He never told him to stop laying hands on the sick. He never told him any of that. He never told him to stop celebrating and having feasts together. He never told him to do that because they were partying all the time. They had, part, they had dinner parties constantly. And what he had to tell him was, was, look, if you guys are gonna have a dinner party, this is awesome. And you guys could, should, should keep having these dinner parties and you should keep inviting the non-believers. The non-believers wanted to go there because there was love among the believer. But what he had to correct the church on was that when you guys are doing your buffet, Eat a little something before you come, right? So that when you come, you're not like putting six helpings on your plate and going over and gorging yourself. And then the non-believer comes in and looks at you like a cultured hog. And then he, there's no food. There's no food there. That's what he was saying. Because what the Christians were doing is they're like, oh yeah, they were eating and just totally consuming. And Paul said, if you have, if you have a house, eat in your home before you come. Because the purpose of the love feasts, as they were called, were not to like, you know, it wasn't like, what is it, Golden Corral? It wasn't all you could eat. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was the fellowship. The purpose was to express fellowship and relationship with one another and that Jesus would be glorified and that strangers would be welcomed. That's a huge value in the gospel, the welcoming of the stranger. It's what the word hospitality means. You know what hospitality means? To welcome the stranger is a high value. It is required of those who lead the house of God. It is required. It is not an option. One of the high requirements of the elder is not just to be able to teach the scripture, but they must be given to hospitality, given to it. In other words, you, you just do it. You, you create a welcoming atmosphere. You welcome the stranger. It's a, it's a requirement. We're called into a lifestyle. What is that? It's a manner of living that is from, that is, say it with me. The lifestyle, the lifestyle. is in the spirit, from the spirit, and through the Spirit. Everything is, that, is, is this way. 
Whether you're reading your Bible in the Spirit, from the Spirit, through the Spirit, you'd be amazed what you get out of your Bible when you start reading it that way. Every aspect of our faith, every aspect of our life, every aspect of our, of our living is to be this way, in the Spirit, from the Spirit, and through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the essence of all that Jesus intended to do. He carries with him the fullness of the heaven's government. Heaven's government is in the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is no other answer. The Spirit of God is the final answer. So when the Spirit of God is in the room, there is no other authority. He is the authority. So when you're ministering in the Spirit, whatever the Holy Spirit says is what is. He's heaven's government. He carries with him the anointing. The anointing is the encompassment of all that Jesus died for. And the anointing is imparted. All of the promises, all of the gifts, all of the power, all of the presence is found in the anointing. Where is the anointing? In the Spirit. You get in the Spirit, you feel the anointing. You feel power inside and you feel like something's moving over you. you can I get a witness? Yes. What's moving over you is the anointing. It is the power of God. That's what moves over you. The presence of God within moving over you is called the anointing. Right? Some would say it was the baptism of the Spirit. It's the same thing. You're immersed. You're swimming in Him. If you touch someone, they're going to get wet because there's water on you, right? You get out of the pool and you got water on you. You touch somebody, they get wet. They're, just, they're now affected by the reality that you're coming from. We get it? So the, the Christian is designed to not just have power within, but power upon. We're to walk in an anointing so that when we touch people or we impact worlds, wherever we go, there's footprints of where we've been because the anointing is on us. If we touch something, there's an, there's an imprint of, where we have, of who we've been there because the anointing is on us. But that anointing is only realized and actualized when the Christian learns to practice the presence, when the Christian learns to get in the spirits. If you're a believer, you'll know by now you're not in the spirit 24-7. Can I get a witness? Right? And this is where we beat each other up and every Christians beat each other up over this because they beat, the, oh, if I could just do a little bit more. Get in the spirit. The discipline, if you want to call it that, is to learn to practice the presence by learning to consistently enter the spirit of God who is available to you, say it with me, 24-7. That's right. He so desperately wants to be with you that he comes the moment you ask. That's how much he loves you. Just put your hands out right now. Come on. Open your hearts. Shut off all your religion. Just throw that stuff off you. We don't need it anyway. It's stale. Open up your heart. Say with me, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, I receive you. Just let him come over you. Let him move. Just feel his presence. So let him move. You start feeling something, don't hold it back. Just let him move. Practice the presence, man. Just let him swim. Let him move over you. Swim in him. It's the presence of God. It's how you practice the presence. Keep practicing. Keep practicing. Go home. Practice. Then you get in the presence and you know what you do? You begin to love and adore him. You begin to, begin to manifest and just begin to cry out, Lord, you're so beautiful. I want more of you. Then you come to another place where you start asking him, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? Speak life to me. Give wisdom to me. And all of a sudden, counsel starts coming to you. You start getting ideas and concepts. You start seeing pictures and visions. And you start going, is this real? And it will happen as you learn to practice the presence. This is how we commune with our Father we commune with him, not just by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus makes the new and living way by which we have access to grace 
Charis, the power of God. We come before the throne of grace, the throne of power. The power is in the Spirit. All of this happens through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God cannot and must not be neglected. If we neglect this, then we're, we have no one to blame but ourselves. All of the resources of heaven are given to the believer in the Spirit. Sometimes you got to fight for it. Sometimes you got to battle for it. Sometimes there's spiritual opposition. Sometimes there's emotional opposition. Sometimes there's mental opposition. Your mind doesn't want to go there. Your emotions are like, I don't feel like it. Oh, come on, man. Do you know why? Because you're a no, you're, when you submit to the Spirit of God, your emotions can't control you. Your emotions come under the authority of the Spirit. And now the Spirit controls your emotions. That's why your emotions don't want to submit. That's why your emotions don't want to go into the Spirit. Your mind doesn't want to do it because your mind wants to say, well, I want to be in control and I want to think I'm the master. When you enter the Spirit, you now enter into the mind of Christ and your perception changes. Do we understand this? This is why. There's circumstantial things that happen to you. You might be saying, hey, man, I'm going to start worshiping. And somebody's beating at your door telling you that your house is on, or your car's on fire outside. You know what I'm saying? Right the moment you go to get in the spirit, it's like, boom, everything explodes. There's opposition to it because that's where the power lies. I always tell the Christian, Satan is not anti-Jesus. He is anti-Christ. He is anti-anointing. If you can get that, you'll understand exactly what he's opposing. He's not opposing salvation. I got news for you. He's not anti-Jesus. All of the networks don't have a problem with Jesus. Most people in the world don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the power because the power is in the anointing. The enemy resists the anointing. He is anti-Christ. Christ means anointing. He is anti-anointing. We got to get it. Nowhere does it say the spirit of anti-Jesus. Nowhere does it say the spirit of anti-salvation. But the Bible is clear. There's a spirit of anti-Christ. There's a spirit of anti-anointing. And so if we understand that, we have churches that partner with that spirit. I don't know if you're aware of that. We have churches that come in agreement with the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm not saying they're not teaching the gospel. But they're not teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And they're partnering with a lie that says there is no power. They're partnering with a lie that says there is no anointing. When they say the power is gone and it all died with the apostles, you know what I tell them? Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't say that. I don't know who you're listening to, but that's not what my Bible says. My Bible not only says that, but my reality doesn't say that because I see the power of God moving every day. We have to be careful what we partner with. We partner with the Spirit of God. We partner with His will. We do not deny the power. Men will be lovers of God. What will they deny in the last days? Anybody know? Anybody know the word? They will be lovers of themselves. They will profess godliness and they will deny professing godliness, but denying what? The power. They're not denying salvation. They're denying power. Huge. Huge. It's interesting when God's theology doesn't line up with ours, right? When the theology of the Bible begins to contradict the theology of the men. Jesus tells us the latter day church, the last day's church will deny power. They will profess godliness in all of its forms. All of the forms of Christianity we will proclaim. Oh, we proclaim Baptism. Oh, we proclaim communion. Oh, we proclaim catechisms. We proclaim them all. We proclaim the word of God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We proclaim worship. We proclaim prayer. But let's not proclaim power. Proclaiming godliness in all of its forms except in the form of power. Huh? 
Where do you think God's heart is? If that's what he says, then where's his heart? His heart's in the spirit. His heart is desire to manifest power. Power changes everything. Changes everything. Will revolutionize your faith. I was talking to a guy this week. He said, as soon as I started practicing the presence and learning the Holy Spirit, he said, everything about my faith changed. Everything. Because that's what it's intended to operate on. Your faith is intended to operate in power, in the Spirit. You don't have to know what you're doing. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit teaches you. Just get in the Spirit and go, Lord, teach me. Teach me. I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody say it with me. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I have a really good teacher. That's right. He not only will teach you, he'll give you ability. He empowers you. So you don't have to know what you're doing. Just get in the spirit and go, Lord, I have no clue. Just show me. Teach me. Next slide, please. Oh, where'd my slide person go? That's all right. None of this was in my notes. I wasn't planning on saying any of this, so I don't know. This is for y'all. Yeah, woo! Everybody say it with me. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, will, I will stop. <laughs> After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be, everybody say, shall be, shall be. My, witnesses. my witnesses. Okay, and he tells them, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the ends of the earth. In other words, I'm going to give you an ever-expanding arena of influence. Your immediate, your outer, and out to the ends of the world. If you will walk in power, the levels of your influence will continually expand. Yeah, come on. Yeah. That's right. Power, say it with me. Power is promised. Power is, promised. Power is, mandated. Power is mandated. Jesus tells his disciples, don't do anything until you've memorized the, the five books of Moses. Is that what he told them? No. Don't do anything until you got all of your ceremonial rituals down. No. Is that what he told them? No. Don't do anything until you have power. That's what he says. Don't do anything until you learn to light the flame. Until you learn to encounter the Spirit of God. Until you learn to, to at least activate. That's all he's asking you to do is learn to activate. He'll take care of the rest. He does all the heavy lifting. Aren't you glad? All you got to do is learn to activate. Woo, okay, now what, Lord? Now what do I do? Well, start doing the things that you normally do or let the Lord direct you, let him lead you, but do it out of power. They say, is this possible 24-7? Yes, it is. I'm trying to get the majority of my days in the Spirit. I'm almost there. <laughs> I have some bad days, and I'm not there. You know what I'm saying? And then you know you need to get in the spirit, but everything's just pounding you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know where you got to go, and then your body's like, ah, why do you want to do that for? Because I need the power. <laughs> say it with me. Power's promised. Power is mandated. And say power is to have a purpose. Jesus puts a power on you. He covers you in it. He calls you into it. And we are to be carriers of his presence. We carry his presence in order to impact and change the world around us. With all of the Bible knowledge, we, are, we, we have more knowledge. The light of knowledge grows brighter and brighter and brighter within the church. We know more about the scriptures, more about the history, more about everything from the Bible context than we could ever. Yet our witness couldn't be dimmer. Our knowledge is brighter than it's ever been, yet our witness could not be dimmer. Why? Because knowledge does nothing. The Spirit is where life and power. The Spirit is, the, the Word of God is ignited by the, spirit, by the power of God. Without the, the, the Word, without the Spirit, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
word without spirit, we, we're not profiting anything. We're actually cutting people down is what we do. We become arrogant finger pointers. And then once we've pointed enough fingers at everybody else, we start pointing the fingers at, each, at ourselves. We start cannibalizing our churches. Well, I can't have fellowship with your church anymore because you guys believe in sprinkling and you don't believe in full immersion of baptism. What? We do stupid things like that. That's what we do. Cannibalisms. We start cannibalizing each other. We start pointing fingers and judgmental, arrogant answer givers is what we become. Full of knowledge, but never coming to knowledge of truth. That's what we are. I'm all for knowledge. Love it. Love it. I love the depth of the word. I love to teach the depths of the word. I love to be involved in the depths of the word. I, I, my wife and I were having this huge conversation on 1 Samuel. It was amazing. Just all of the stuff that she's been reading, and we've been talking about it, and we were just talking about different insights into 1 Samuel. It was amazing. The word of God, there's nothing like the word of God. But we need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is given not just for eternal comfort or security. So we teach. Well, the Holy Spirit right now, just feel the eternal security of the Lord as we worship together in the spirit of holiness. That's not why he's on you. Is he on you to purpose you? Yeah. To comfort you? Yes. Is he on you to give you security and stability? Yes. But he's on you to change the world. Jesus said, I come to light a fire in the earth and how I wish it was already burning. That's the point. We change the atmosphere. We connect to the atmosphere of heaven. Holy Spirit connects us to the Godhead, the divine. You want to know what heaven's like? Get in the spirit. Get in the spirit. You ever worship so long? You've been in the spirit to where it's just like four hours or three hours or two hours goes by and it seems like it's five minutes? You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's eternity. You're encountering the eternal realm. You're encountering heaven. You get in that place and you're like, wow, I wish I could stay in this place forever. You will. That's heaven. Wish I could be this person that I am in the spirit. You will. That's your true identity. That's who you really are. I always try to encourage you guys. Who you really are is not who you are on Monday morning when you're rolled out of bed and you're running late and getting in a car and flipping everybody off on the road. Oh, come on. You live here. I know, right? Who you really are is who you are in the spirit. When you're in the spirit, that's who you are. That's the new creation. That's who you are. So we operate by who we were, but who we really are is who we are in the spirit. That's who we really are. The anointing carries the fullness of our inheritance. In the spirit, the anointing of God is on us. And in the anointing, say it with me, is the fullness of my inheritance. I may not know how to operate in the fullness of my inheritance. But nonetheless, the fullness of my inheritance is on me in the spirit. Fullness of, the spirit, fullness of your inheritance is on you in the presence, in the Holy Spirit. You may not have a clue what to do. You may not have a clue how to activate it. You may not have a clue, but that, 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 that doesn't change the fact that it's on you. It doesn't change the fact that all that Jesus died to bring has come upon you with the anointing. It's there. We have to unlock. We have to learn to unlock. There are keys, so certain things have to be opened with keys. Certain things are opened with knowledge. Certain things are opened when we align. There's a whole, certain things are opened with obedience, there's a whole uh, series of things that open up the anointing and cause the water to move and cause the power to go. But the reality is, is that the anointing is given to every single believer. And you know what it is? It's not based on you. You could have gone out and did something completely stupid the night before, and you just say, Holy Spirit comes, and he comes. And do you know what he shows you? It's not based on you. Now, I'm not condoning going out and doing anything stupid, because what the Holy Spirit's going to show you is that's not who you are. This is who you are. 
He doesn't relate to you on the level of sin. He relates to the believer at the level of his identity. There is therefore now, we are sinless in Christ. So the Spirit of God is not dealing with our sin. He's dealing with our identity. He's saying, this is what you're doing, Kevin. This is not going to profit you. Is this what you want to keep on doing? Because this is not who you are. This is who you are. That's how he works. That's how the Spirit works. He's affirming and calling you onto your identity. To the world, he's convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But that is not unto the believer. You will not find that. He's not, he's, he may be revealing something to you, but it's always in the context of your, of your identity. Read Corinthians. Read what he says. He, t- he calls that church out on a whole bunch of sins. And he says, none of these people have any inheritance in the kingdom. And he says, and such were some of you. But you've been changed. Did he call them out? And did he say, this is who you are? He didn't do that. He named the sins that they were committing that were causing them to fall short of their identity. And then he called them into their identity. You see the difference? He says, this is not who you are, so stop acting like it. Such were some of you, but you've been cleansed. What we like to do is we like to beat people down. We like to beat the Christian down in the church. Beat them down. We got everybody slumped over. Oh, you know. I was found smoking a cigarette out behind the thing. I mean, you know, it's like we do stupid things like cigarettes don't send you to hell. Somebody said they just make you smell like you've been there. So anyway, (laughs) I went to that R-rated movie, you know. I mean, nothing wrong with R-rated movies, you know. I mean, it's it's like, I don't even get into that. I'm going to go down the wrong road, dig myself a hole that I can't get out of and then the amount of time that I have left. Next slide. Your inheritance, it's, what does inheritance mean? It means yours by right. Say it with me. My inheritance, My inheritance. is mine by right. Mine by right. Jesus, paid for it. Jesus paid for it with his life, with his life. and with his, blood. with his blood. It is imparted to me through his resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. His resurrection was about transference. He had to, he had to come as we are die as we are and rise as we are that we would be able to be transferred into what it is that he did for us. I always give these three images, the garden to the cross. What did Jesus do? He died for emotional healing. He bled for emotional healing. He bled for physical healing and he bled for spiritual healing. It's right there. We can't miss it. Every Easter, we're talking about the garden. We're talking about the whippings and we're talking about the cross. Yet somehow we don't believe that Jesus will heal emotionally. Somehow we don't believe that Jesus will heal physically, but we'll believe that he'll heal spiritually. When Jesus bled in the tomb, you guys are going to hear me, when he bled in the garden, you've heard me say it before, when he bled in the garden, that had nothing to do with sin. Nothing to do with sin. He bled and declared, my soul, my emotions are poured out. He bled for the healing into the emotions. When he had stripes on his back, it had nothing to do with sin. Nothing. Crickets, I know what you've been told. I'm telling you what the Bible says. He's been striped on his back. By his stripes were what? Right. Somebody said spiritually. Uh -uh. Read it. In its context, it means healing. Sin was not judged until the cross. The judgment of sin did not come upon Jesus until he was on the cross. Not in the garden and not at the post. So therefore, we've got to back up and say, well, then what is the garden all about? What is the post all about if it's not about sin? If only the cross is the judgment of sin, then what's this all about? Well, we're going to have to change our doctrines to back up to be able to see what it actually is. Because Jesus is a holistic healer. He will heal in the emotions, he will heal in the body, and he will heal in the spirit. 
he heals in all three facets. So that is yours by right and inheritance. You may not know how to activate it. You may not know how to walk in it, but it's yours nonetheless. Say it. Emotional healing is mine to receive and mine to give. Physical healing is mine to receive and mine to give. Spiritual healing is mine to receive and mine to give. It is an inheritance. It is yours and it is yours to give. I'm not saying you're walking in it. I'm just telling you the reality. You know what you do? You get in the spirit and you go, Lord, how do I walk in this? How do I attain this? I believe that you did this for me. And I know I got some junk downstairs that I can't deal with. So I need you to help me bring about the thing that you gave to me. That's how it works, among other ways. <laughs> what is ours by right? The garden to the cross. Say it with me. It is mine by right. Victory and not defeat. Success and not failure. To go through and not to go under. That's right. That's what your Bible promises you. Success and not failure. Above only and not beneath. You will go through and not go under. That's what he said. It's yours. I'm not saying you're walking in it. I'm not saying you're manifesting it. I'm not saying you're activating it. But what you need to know is it's yours. And you will be driven, I'm going to quote this verse in a minute, by your affections. And you will be limited by your affections. And I'll get into that in a second. Personal and corporate rights. These are ours by our personal. They are ours by a church. The church corporately has this as a right. But they're also mandated. Jesus says, you take what is mine. Freely you've received. Freely go give. There's a mandate upon what we've received. We are to take what God has given. We are to learn to walk in what is given. And we are to learn to bring it to the world. That's what we're learned to learn to do. We're to learn this stuff, be stewards of this stuff, learn how to do this, and learn to bring it to other people. That's how it's designed to be. I'm not going to get into these verses, but the two verses are there to show you that we're sent. Jesus, oh, let me just ask you a question. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Are we sent? Yes or no? Okay, let's go for another one. This is the famous one of all, right? I love it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Are we sent? We're sent. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus was sent in the power of the Spirit. Next slide. So we are sent to learn what is ours, to walk in our inheritance, to activate our inheritance, and to bring it to the world. We're to be carriers of his world, and then from his world into ours, on earth as it is in heaven. From his world into ours. How do we access his world? In the Spirit. In the spirit, we are in his world and we have access to his world from the spirit unto this world. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken to you openly and our heart is wide open, but you're not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children or those not mature. Be open. So the Bible's indicating here is that, that the power of God is restricted by what we care about. It's restricted about what we have a passion for. If you don't have a passion for your inheritance, heaven is not restricting you. Your passion is restricting you. If you don't have a passion about, about the things of God, God is not restricting you. Your passions are restricting you. And what he's talking about here is, an, is a closed heart. There are people who have closed hearts to the things of God. Closed minds, closed hearts. Simply observing critics that stand on the outside and go, mm, I don't know about that. Mm, I don't know about that either. Yeah, I don't know about that. Heaven's not restricting you. 
You're restricting you. Everybody say it with me. If there's a problem, it's on my side. Yep. So Jesus, come on. So Jesus, help me to solve the problem that is on my side. The problem's with you. Problem's not with God. What are you hungry for? What do you desire? Where are your affections? What are your affections for? The deeper things of God are revealed through the deeper passions. We begin to enter into realms of heaven when the deeper passions begin to come into our hearts. And if you don't ever have that deep passion, you're just going to be one that skirts on the outside. You'll have measure, but you won't have fullness. Fullness comes when you change your affections. And how do I change my affections? The Spirit of God will help you change those. He'll help you with anything you want. Lord, change my heart. Change my affections. And you know what he's going to ask you? Do you mean it? Do you know what he does? I'm going to tell you what he does. So grab your chairs. He dismantles your world. Because in order to change your affections, he has to dismantle everything you're affectionate about. And people go, oh, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what God's doing. You asked him to change your affections. So he's going to dismantle everything. And he's going to show you the meaninglessness of everything else until your affections line up with him. If you ask him, he's going to do it. And so we get all freaked out because God's actually doing what we asked him to do. We just don't understand how he goes about doing it. He prunes branches. That's what he does. He takes your world apart. Huh? I was in a construction business. If you want to put, a, if you want to put an addition on the back of the house, you got to blow out some walls. You got to tear some things out in order to bring some things in. It's how Je- we just think that that's not how Jesus works. If Jesus is working, then I will be comfortable at all times. Who told you that? <laughs> it's the wrestling into the greater things. It's the breaking through into the other arenas. That's what it is. We have to change our affections. Heaven is not limiting you. Heaven is not limiting you. There's no limit. Churches aren't limiting. People are limiting me. No one's limiting you. You're limiting yourself by what? By your own affections, or you're limiting yourself by a closed or closed heart or open closed mind. All that you have, say this with me. All that I have need of will be given, but all that I want, I must contend for. Ooh, my God shall supply all of my wants. That's not what it says. My God shall supply all of your needs. And that need, that verse is directly connected to your generosity, by the way. So if you want that one activated, it's connected to your generosity. Read it. And you'll see that that's just not some random verse that's directly connected to the verse above it, relating to the Christian's generosity in supporting the gospel. (gasps) Because you've supported the gospel, therefore, that's what he says. Hmm? So, well, I don't know. God's not supporting my needs. Are you supporting the gospel, Christian? No. Okay, well, why don't you support the gospel? And watch that verse come to pass. Will God help you? All the time he'll help you. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He brings provision. He will provide. But your wants, you have, you, what you desire, your destiny, you have to contend for. That word contend is an image of a bulldog. You guys ever had a dog? Print? KP, you got dogs. So you ever had dogs like trying to pull something out of your hand? Right? Yeah. And you ever see those really tenacious ones? Those like ones that are really low to the ground? I mean, they're like heaving it out of your arm. Yeah. Yeah, it's mine. I want it. They take it. And then every time you go to pick it up, they go and grab it again. That's what it means to contend. You have to grab on and you have to pull it until it becomes yours. That's what it means to contend. 
Kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and those who, the violent must take it by force. The dominion, the rule, the reign of God, the destiny of God suffers a, a violent opposition. There is an opposition against the rule and the reign of God in all spheres, your life, and everything. And we must be tenacious and violently oppose what opposes the dominion of God. You have to contend for what is yours. How do I contend? Ask the Holy Spirit. You see how this works? It is a constant, continual partnership with the Holy Spirit. He may have already given you some directions, and so you do that. Say, Lord, I want this. How do I contend for it? Teach me how to contend for what is mine. Show me. Show me. And again, here's how he works. So we know he'll start pointing out areas where you're not courageous. He'll start pointing out areas of compromise that are leaving you exposed and the enemy's ravaging you. He'll start showing you things. Oh, that can't be Jesus. That's not Jesus. He would never call me a coward. Oh, really? <laughs> he does it all the time. He will confront you on the areas of your life. That's how he works. If you want to know how to contend for your promises, simply ask him and he will begin to tell you. He'll begin to download these things to you. He'll begin to instruct you and open you and give you paths forward. That's how he works. Is a, say it with me. It is a constant and continual partnership with the Holy Spirit. I love this one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Galatians 4.1. I say to you that the heir, say that's it, in Jesus, say it with me, in Jesus, I'm the heir. But so long as I'm a child, I'm no different than a slave. It's right there in black and white. You are the heir of all things. You are the heir of the world to come and you are the inheritance of the kingdom in this world. But so long as you're a child, immature, self-seeking, misguided in your affections, you are no different than a slave, though you are master of all. But you are under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the Father. There's buffeting around you all the time. So who's limiting who? God's not limiting you. He's telling you you're an heir and you're an heir to all, but so long as you remain a child, you're not going to be anything. So long as you're immature, I didn't say you weren't saved. I didn't say Jesus didn't love you. We're talking about destiny and inheritance here. This is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about salvation. So long as you're a child, you are no different than a slave. <sighs> I love it. Isaiah says, is Israel a home-born slave? Are my people created to walk in bondage and slavery? And says, then he goes on to tell them why they're in slavery. Because they keep forsaking him and going off and doing whatever it is that they want to do. And he says, this is the reason why you guys are in slavery. I didn't make you this way, but you keep making these decisions, and this is what you're getting. He's saying the same thing Paul's saying in Galatians. The heir, so long as they're children, immature, unknowing, unloving, misguided in their affections, are no different than slaves, though they're masters of all. You have to know what is yours. Peter said, silver and gold I have none, but such as I give, I give to you. Peter didn't say, by the power of Jesus, rise up and walk. He said, what is mine by inheritance, I transfer to you, rise up and walk. Could it be that healing is imparted to the believer to impart to others? Just a question. Would you, could you, should you? Lord, if you're in a good mood today, that's not how it works. We impart it. We impart it. Next slide. There's a whole story behind behind all that. I got a lot to say on that, but I won't. Everybody say this with me. As you go. Jesus said, when you go into a household, greet it. And if that household is worthy, let your peace fall upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. What he's talking about households, he's not talking about Aunt Susie's home Thanksgiving dinner party. The word household means oikos. It means center of influence. Whenever you go into a center of influence, bring the presence of the Lord. Whenever you go into a center of influence, shalom is the essence of the presence of God. It means to flourish and prosper. That's what shalom means. 
As you go into a place of influence, bring the presence of God with you. If nobody wants it, well, then just take it back. We're cool. But as you go, bring into these areas of influence, bring the spirit with you. How does it happen? Here's some practical stuff. Everybody say, number one, yieldedness. Holy Spirit comes through yieldedness. Holy Spirit comes through surrender. Holy Spirit comes when you ask, Lord, come. I'm yielding. I'm surrendering. Holy Spirit, come. When the Spirit of God comes, there's an awareness. An awareness of what? An awareness of His presence. Not just an awareness of His presence, but an awareness of assignment. Okay? We get in His presence and we begin to ask, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? Right? There's an awareness. When you're in the presence of the Lord, there's an awareness. We start meditating. The Lord will show you things. He may call you into prayer. He may, say, he may show you people. He might show you situations, circumstances, and things that you don't know. But as you're in his spirit, he's going to show you. I want you to pray into this. I want you to believe me for that. I want you to ask me for this. I want you to do this. I want you to change what you're doing over here. This is how it works when we're in his spirit. Then we start praying for things. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Like, Lord, I've just been praying for a new job. And all of a sudden, somebody passes you by and go, man, if I could just find a really good secretary, I would give anything. And then you go, hmm, I wonder if that's Jesus. Uh, yeah. He prayed to answer prayer, all these different things. God will show you person, places, or things. I'll tell you a quick story. And I got one more slide. Okay, so don't you love it when they cancel your bank card? Anybody with me? You ever been out shopping? You got one, you got your ATM card with you. You don't have any other card. And you go to, you go to pay, and they go, your card doesn't work. Yes, isn't that wonderful? So that happened to me. They end up sending me a new card. It had been like four days. I hadn't, you know gone and you got to go to the ATM, activate the thing, you know, da, da, da. so I hadn't done it. So I figured, well, I better go do this before something else happens. And so I, I went to the bank, the ATM card, ATM thing validated my, my pin. Somebody's trying to say, what's his pin? <laughs> I'm, I'm typing it out. Uh, the, and that validated my pin. And as I'm leaving and I was praying, so I was got in a car, so I was praying. Right? So it was a spiritual day. It was one of my spiritual days. So I was in the spirit. I was praying. I was just blessing the Lord. I was honoring God. Just letting the Holy Spirit come. You know, just driving, go to do my ATM card, just doing that. So I was in the spirit of God. And so I was in the presence. And so as I was pulling away out from the ATM machine, there's a dumpster. And sitting in front of the dumpster is a woman with three little girls. And immediately I feel the spirit of God. So of course I drive by. And as I'm going, I start meditating, like, okay, what do you want to do? 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 And I could feel my assignment, and I stop, and I'm asking the Lord. I hear a verse that says, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. In other words, this woman's a human being, Kevin. Don't go hiding yourself from this situation. And I'm like, okay. And then I start asking the Lord, what do you want to do? I'm like, and I'm telling Jesus, I'm like, I'm not giving her money, you know. I'm like, she might be using these kids as bait. She just might be a drug. I mean, I don't know, Right. And so I'm like, but I'm thinking, and so I start positioning it up to the Lord. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Walgreens. I'm going to buy a loaf of bread. I'm going to buy peanut butter and jelly. I'll get some water. I'll get some crackers. I'll get some chips. I'll get a couple of bags of stuff that'll last him a little bit of time, and I'll bring it back to him. Is that okay? Okay, cool. So I go and do that. I bring it back to him. I pull up in the car. I get out of the car, and, and, uh, and I start talking to her. She doesn't speak English, but her little daughter is about maybe eight years old. This girl was like, dynamic. I'm sure I'm going to see her again. And she stands up and I go, do you want the food? And the lady's going, no, 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 no. And the little girl stands up and goes, we'll take the food. <laughs> and so I give them the food. And so all the stuff, I show them what's in the bag. The lady's really grateful. She's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all the kids are grateful. And so then I get back in the car and I'm starting to drive away and I can feel the spirit of God pushing on me. And I can feel him pushing on me. And he's like, you're not done. I'm like, okay. 
I'm like, what do you want me to do? And so I'm just asking the Lord, and I felt like he said to me, he said to me, ask what the problem is, and I could see the mother. So ask what the problem is, and I saw the mom. So I got out of the car, and I said, hey, what's the problem with your mom? So what's going on with your mom? She said she has cancer in both of her kidneys. So okay, so what I'm, what I'm trying to show you is here, from the presence, from the yieldedness, comes the presence, comes the awareness, comes the mandate. You understand? Because I entered into the spirit of God, and I'm just driving around getting my ATM card. That's all I was going to do. All of this other stuff. And it was a bit inconvenient because I had places to go, people to see. Right? And then when I'm actually praying over her, asking her to stand up, we're doing pray healing prayer for her. I'm praying over her. The police pull up. <laughs> of all the times, right? Little girls around me, and I got my hands on this woman's shoulders. <laughs> the cops are like, is everything good? I'm like, I'm like, I'm good. And the lady's like, yeah, we're good. We're good. So they drove away. We got to pray for her, got to pray for the, for the little girls, and, and on goes the story. But what I'm trying to show you is that when we yield into the Spirit of God, there becomes an awareness, an atmosphere of His presence. And from the atmosphere of His presence, He is able to lead you to mandated assignments. He is able not just to impart to you the things that are yours, but He is able to lead you into assignments. I could have, if I, was in my, if I was in my natural mind at that time, I would have drove away and I would have made 15 excuses why I shouldn't help her. Come on, you're right here with me. Yes. You got about 100 excuses why you don't help people. You drive right by them all the time in the flesh. Yeah. And we think, oh, that's what social services are. We say, we, say, we say stupid things all the time. But when you're in the spirit, and then you ask the Lord, do you want to do something here? And he says, yes. Sometimes he says no, but 90% of the time he says yes. So his presence is released. You guys see, that's what I'm trying to show you. Yieldedness, awareness, and then he activates an assignment. If you'll do that, you begin to ask him, what do you want to do, Lord? Not just receiving for yourself, but looking around. Things will shift. I'm telling you, things will shift. Next slide. Last slide, and I'm done. I'm already over. So what activates it? I don't have time for this, but I wish I did. Obedience. Obedience activates the presence of God. What's obedience? Doing what you already know to do, right? There's certain things you already know that, things that, that are right to God. And obedience activates the presence of God. Prophetic act. Acting upon what is spoken. Holy Spirit says something to you. You act upon it. It's a prophetic act. You don't know the outcome. You don't know what's going to happen. Pray for her. I had no idea. She could have punched me in the face. I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I stepped out upon what he was telling me. Or if someone gives you a word from the Lord and you feel like it bears witness, step out in prophetic act. Declarative words or prophetic words. Think this is what changes things from the spirit. Somebody might be discouraged and you can just, and what a declarative word is, is just a word of faith. Look at you and they go, well, I just declare right now that that new job comes to you. I just declare by faith in the name of Jesus that it comes upon you. That's a declarative word. A prophetic word is this is what the Lord is saying to you. Does the word roses mean anything to you? I feel like the Lord is talking to you about roses. Does that mean anything to you? And the person goes, yeah. Yeah, actually there's a rose bush over here. Da, da, da. Well, I would look. You see the difference? I'm not trying to break down prophetic, but I'm trying to show you the difference. A declarative word is a word of faith. You just look at the person and you just go, you know what? That's not heaven. Let's just speak what heaven would say to that. Let's just talk life into that. That's a declarative word. It changes atmospheres. Declarative words and prophetic words changes the options. The options are you have no job. Well, by faith, I declare that God opens up a door for you and that this provision is going to come to you. The options have just changed. Amen. Come on. Amen. I don't have time to explain it all, so I won't. Change the options, spirit and life. Spirit is released through the laying on of hands. It's the transference of the anointing. That's what, that, that's what laying on of hands means. And I'm out of time, and i got to close like right now. Right now. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Don't worry, I don't want to, but it's all right.
If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. There's no greater way to close this service 